This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. And I'm going to be talking about the goals in our mission. But I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to be looking at verse number 15 in just a moment. But the message is entitled today, Enjoying the Glory of God. Enjoying the Glory of God. We're going to be talking about the mission statement of our church and how this statement identifies us and what we believe as God's people, as a local New Testament church. And so I'm going to be reading this morning in Exodus chapter 33. I want you to find verse number 15, and let's get into the word today. The Bible says, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I now, or I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I want you to look at this. We're going to be talking about that this morning, enjoying the glory of God. But there are some very special things that our church is committed to. And first and foremost, let me say this, we are committed. The most important thing that we are committed to in this church is the presentation of the gospels, preaching the gospel. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men nigh to me. And so there is nothing over the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came to this earth to do, the preaching of the gospel. In fact, Mark chapter 13, verse 10 says, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. And in Mark 16, verse 15, the word says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1 in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so all of us need to know that our first and foremost commitment here at Buford Road Baptist Church is the preaching of the gospel. By the way, let me ask the question, what is the gospel? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses number 3 through 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which 
I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, I'm giving you the gospel. This is what the gospel is. He died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. And no true church can exist without the gospel. Now, I know there are a lot of buildings with steeples, but I can assure you that every building that you pass by with a cross on its rooftop doesn't necessarily preach the gospel. And it's important for us to know that that is first and foremost here at the church. The second element to our cornerstone mission is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's, that's secondary. That's what we do underneath the gospel. Now, what is the Great Commission? In Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, the word says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. And so everything about our church, listen carefully, and everything about our spiritual lives ought to be encompassed with the gospel and with the Great Commission. These are the two top priorities of our church. The gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and the Great Commission. Now, given these two unconditional absolutes of who we are, then what is the mission statement of our church? It's simple, and I, I would ask that every person become familiar with it at the very least, but I would also ask you to try your best to memorize the mission statement of our church. We're going to be putting it in places for you to see often, but at the bottom of the front side of your bulletin today, we have the mission statement of our church, and I want to read it for you, and I want you to become familiar with it. Our mission statement is this. We exist to be a people. Now, I want to emphasize that. It does not say the people or the people. It says a people, and that's important. We exist to be a people who enjoy the glory of God, who equip the people of God, and who extend the love of God. Now, there's a mountain of things intertwining with those three basic simple statements. And I encourage you to memorize this, get familiar with it. And so, again, in these first three sermons, we're going to be talking about what it means to do these things. And today we're talking about what it means to enjoy the glory of God. Now, in the body of Beaufort Road, we have to recognize that there are many different types of personalities among us, an ocean of different personalities. Now, not only different personalities, but there are 
many, many different preferences. I want you to stay with me. And when we have many different personalities and many different preferences, we have many different ideas. We have many different types of views. We have different conclusions on decisions. There is absolutely no question that many of us and most of us feel and approach things differently. And I want to give you a practical illustration. And I thought about this uh, in a way to make it exactly that, a practical illustration recently. And I was doing some research for this message. And I came across something interesting about Starbucks. Most of you travel there during the week. I see cups on your dashboard. I see you walking through the hallways. I, most of you travel through Starbucks. And I found this to be fascinating. The claim with that organization is this, that there are over, and this blew my mind when I started analyzing it and trying to adapt it into a sermon. But there are over 80,000, get this, over 80,000 different ways to get their products. You know, you think about that, over 80,000 different ways. And I want you to think about the effort that it takes to manage those many different choices. For example, if you travel to Starbucks, some people in here may like one shot, some might like two shots. Some might like three. I'm talking about coffee now. S some of you may like it at 120 degrees. Some like it hotter. Some like it warmer. Some like it cold. And, and that kind of choice and thing goes on and on forever. But think with me just for a moment. With a company that big and so many choices... What if they said this? this? This thing is getting way out of hand. And the choices that we offer has gone way too far. I mean, because when you stop and think about that really seriously just for a moment, and those of you that like it, perhaps you've been standing behind someone in a line who's at the counter, and they've been standing there for five minutes trying to decide what they want. You know what you want, and you're getting fidgety. Suppose, just for a moment, suppose they said, we have to simplify all of this. And so from now on, it's either going to be small, medium, or large. It's only going to be regular or decaf. Now, if they did that, they probably would go out of business real quick. Why? Because we have become too spoiled with choices. We all like choices. We all have made them. We all like preferences. We abide by some of them. But when you think about this, in the body of Christ, there are so many different personalities, so many different preferences, so many different choices. And having said that in a practical way, to illustrate this message this morning, I want us to go back 
to the scripture, and I want to show you a passage in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 10. This comes out of the mission statement. Now look at it very carefully, the scripture, Hebrews 8, 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them, look at this, a God, and they shall be to me a people. Not the people, a people. Look at it very carefully. Not just a group, not just a mob, but a people. A people of oneness, a people of unity. Now, what does it take for us to be a people? How's this possible when we have so many differences and we have so many preferences and there are so many things that perhaps you see this way and that one sees it that way. How can we all be united with so many differences? Well, the truth of the matter is this. Out of all the differences that we have, as well as all of the other people in the world, the one thing that we all have in common, whether in church or whether out of church, is this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is the one thing that it doesn't matter what your preference is or what your personality is. It doesn't matter what conviction you might have the thing that unites us all together is the fact that all of us were conceived in sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the unifying thing. Now, every single human being is a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I want you to keep in mind, because enjoying the glory of God is what we're talking about today. So how is it that we can all have this unified problem of falling short of the glory of God and at the same time strive to embrace together the glory of God? Now, I did a little bit more research on this particular message today, and most of you may not know this. Some of you that study the Bible well, and often perhaps you do, but the word glory is mentioned over 150 times in the New Testament. I want you to think about that. And when it's used, it's often associated with things like, like majesty or splendor or praise. In fact, let me show you something about this amazing word. If you look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 15 through 17, the word says this, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at this now, the Father of glory. Do you see that? The Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
in the knowledge of him. So you see, glory originates with God. God the Father. Now, he's the father of it. And at the same time, according to the scripture, we are to give him glory. Glory originates with him. At the same time, we are instructed in the word to give him glory and to give him much glory. Let me show you something else. And I believe most of you in here today know these verses well. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 8 through 12. We read these passages most of the time at Christmas time, but the word says, and they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I want you to look at that very carefully. Because here's the thing. It wasn't just about shepherds in a field doing their thing. An angel appears before them, but it wasn't just an angel. The angel came with a presence. And the response of the shepherds was an emotion of fear. The Bible says, then the angel began to console them in multitudes, in multitudes. And the word says, multitudes of heavenly hosts with them, declaring, making the declaration of the glory of God. Now, let me share something with you this morning. The word glory, as I have already said, is mentioned over 150 times in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the word glory is mentioned over 200 times. So get this this morning. The Hebrew word for glory is wrapped around the meaning of, of riches or, or weightiness. And I want you to think about the things that Moses encountered as we're reading about him today, how he encountered these things supernaturally by God and how when he saw these things and when he experienced these things, he was thinking, he was pondering as the moving of the Holy Spirit led him to write how he was going to describe what he was seeing and what he was experiencing. Exodus 33 is probably one of the greatest passages in the Bible about the glory of God. Here's the thing. Moses asked to see it. Keep in mind in that text that Moses is in a very difficult situation. And let me rehearse something real quickly here for you. Those of you that have studied the life and times of Moses, you're well familiar that he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. God had provided for them over and over and over again in supernatural ways. And at this point, Moses is going up to Mount Sinai. He left the people at the bottom of the mountain. He was having an extended supernatural encounter with God. And while he was up there communing with God, the people down at the bottom of the mountain, they began to get impatient. And their impatience led to discontentment. They eventually asked Aaron who, by the way, was the brother of Moses, 
to make a golden calf for them, not for decoration, but they asked Aaron to make a golden calf so that they could worship it. Now you think, think about this just for a moment. Moses up on Mount Sinai and his brother, who you would think would be the closest person to him, walking in the shadows and in the footsteps of Jehovah God himself, now is giving in to the whims of the people, and he's fashioning and molding a golden calf, again, not for decoration, but that these people could worship it. They had just been delivered from slavery, nearly 450 years of it, and now they're worshiping and dancing around a golden calf. So Moses comes down from the mountain. You know the story as he comes down and he sees the horribleness of what's going on. He takes the tablets of stone that God himself had engraved with his own finger, and according to the Scripture, he throws them down and he breaks the commandments. He then deals with the people, and then the Word of God says he goes back up the mountain. Now he's back on the mountain for the second time, and now he's pleading with God. And he says, God, and this, when I read this and studied this, this really spoke to me. The heartbreak that Moses encountered coming down, watching his brother being the ringleader the puppet in the devil's hand, watching these people who had just been delivered in miraculous supernatural ways, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that it was God who parted the waters. Moses couldn't do that. That it was God who was, had led them out of bondage. Moses couldn't do that. They had just seen the plagues. Those plagues did not come from human lips and a human hand. Those plagues were brought upon Egypt by the divine sovereignty of God. All of these people had just witnessed all of these incredible things. Now Moses is saying, okay, I'm going to go talk with God. I don't know how long this will take. He goes up, he comes down, he sees this un comprehensible event going on. He throws the stones and he breaks them. He goes back up. Now, his heart is broken, and this is what he says when he gets to the top of the mountain for the second time. He says this, God, I know that you're with me, but I'm not sure that you're with them. That put everything on pause for Moses. For Mo so Moses says, God, I need to know more than I have ever known that you are with them. As much as this is disgusting to you and disgusting to me, and I know you're with me, but more than ever, God, I need to be convinced. I need you to assure me that you're with them. And so we read again in Exodus 33, verse 15 and 18, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. 
For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I, or I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by name. Can you imagine? Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai. Jehovah Jireh, the great I am, speaking in an audible voice and saying, Moses, I know you by your name. And Moses steps back and he says, I beseech thee. He said, God, I beg of you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, in this pandemonium and in the distress, God does something amazing. He reassures Moses. God began to comfort him, and in the comfort, Moses asked for another thing. It was not only that Moses was asking, God, reassure me, in all of this mess, reassure me that you are still with these people. And Moses takes the request one notch higher, and he says this, Oh God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory, oh God. And so getting back to the beginning of this message, one of the goals in our mission of Buford Road Baptist Church is simple. And that is this, we need to be a people who enjoy the glory of God. Now how many, I wonder today, really know how to do that, really know how to enjoy the glory of God? Think about all the things that Moses had witnessed. I mean, he saw the Nile turn into blood among all the other plagues that were pronounced upon Egypt. He saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw the burning bush. And out of all the things that captivated his attention and all of the miraculous and supernatural things, he said, God, there is still one more thing I would love to see, and I want to see your glory. And by the way, that should be one of the desires that we have here is to see the glory of God that should be our goal. And let me say this. Most of you have had experiences in your life, supernatural, divine interruptions, where you have been in a circumstance, a situation, your heart was heavy, you were overwhelmed, and you begin to pray, and you had others praying for you. And it seemed that you did not know how in the world things were going to turn out. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was a breeze that came through. There was peace. There was warmth. 
And in the midst of your trial and in the midst, now it doesn't happen every time you pray. It doesn't happen every single day. But most of you, I think, I would want to think, you have had an experience where there was no doubt in your mind that God, the Shekinah glory, God in his presence was standing in your presence and you could feel him, you could touch him, you could say, yes, God, I know you're here. Oh, hallelujah. And at the same time, I've been in circumstances where I've walked into a house, I've walked into a situation, and I knew I was standing in a den of devils. But when God shows up, you don't wonder. You don't wonder what's happening. Sometimes when, when you're overwhelmed like that and, and, and you can feel God's presence just all around you, sometimes you can't say anything. All you can do is cry. Sometimes you just step back in awe and you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. And you lift up holy hands and you say, love on me, God, I want to love on you. And you can feel his glory. But listen carefully, that's what one of our goals and our mission statement is, that we exist to be a people who enjoy the glory of God. But in order for us to see his glory, we have to take our eyes off of ourselves. We have to put it on him. And God said to Moses, listen, Moses, you could not stand to see the completeness of me, but I'm going to give you a glimpse of glory. Sometimes I think these two rods and these six screws, I don't know if they're going to hold me till, till the end, but look at this. In verse 19, Exodus 33, and he said, I will make all my goodness, Moses. Listen, I hear what you're saying. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. I think about that kind of glory. But God said this, I will pass by your way. And in chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, the word says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. Now, I want to give you quickly the second point here, and that is enjoying the glory of God requires having the correct knowledge of him. Oh, friend, this is so important. In chapter 34, in verse number 6 and 7, the Lord God be merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity. Aren't you glad that God doesn't kick us to the curb? When we mess up, thank God, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I'm so thankful today that he takes our sins when we place them under the blood and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He puts them in the sea of his forgetfulness and we can walk away and say, forgiven! Hallelujah. Look at this. 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children until the third and to the fourth generation. We have to learn this, that God is a God of mercy. He's a God who has godly character. We have to learn of his sovereignty, his justice, his holiness, his love, his compassion, his long-suffering, his forgiveness. And God is saying, if you can grasp those things, if you can wrap your heart around those things, if you can wrap your spiritual mind around those things, then you can enjoy my glory. Get this scripture on the screen, Justin, if you will. Don't turn. I don't have time for you to do that. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, God came from Teman and the Holy One from the Mount Paran. Selah, look at this. His glory covered the heavens and the earth, was full of praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was hiding of his power. Now, the glory of God, listen carefully, the glory of God is inseparable from all of his attributes, all of them. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 7, read this right here. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And so our our whole existence, our whole purpose. When we walk into the doors of the church and we come together collectively, listen, you can give God glory in your prayer chamber. You can give God glory in your home. You can give God glory in your car. But listen, anywhere. But when we come in here as a people, even though we have different preferences and different ideologies and we make different decisions, when we walk into the house of God, we can come in here and our purpose, listen, is not to be seen and lift up ourselves, but it's to lift up Jesus. Our goal ought to be when we come in the door to bring him glory, to lift him up and praise him. Number three, real quickly, when God reveals his glory, our response, listen now, when he does show up like that and the breeze begins to go in and out of these pews and you get a chill, a holy chill from Zion, when he shows up and manifests himself in that way and we know he's here, think about this. There's... There's hundreds and thousands of churches all over the world today. As I said in the beginning, with steeples on top, but that doesn't mean Jesus is there. Now, if one or two are gathered together in his name, somebody's there with the Lord Jesus, absolutely. But I can tell you there, Danny taught so well in Sunday school today, there are churches that don't even open the Bible on Sunday morning. It ought to be our desire that we, we beg for his holiness to show up among us and that when he comes in, listen, our response ought to be that we fall at the glory of God and we begin to worship him. Exodus 34, verse number 8, and Moses made haste. Listen, when this stuff happened, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. This should be our response as well. We can put our ourselves in the position to truly worship God, God, Jehovah. 
When we're willing, listen, this is how it happens. When we're willing to step off of the throne of our life and let God step on it and let him have full control, before we can enjoy the glory of God, he must be the ruler of our life. It has to be. Now, number four, quickly, I ask our musicians to come forward. We can enjoy the glory of God when we enjoy the gospel, the first and foremost element of our church, the preaching of the gospel. In John 1.14, the word says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, look at this, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's the thing. God came down from heaven with the gospel that we could in turn enjoy his glory. And by enjoying the glory, we can fall down at his feet and cry, Abba, Father, and worship him. Wow. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And so if you want to enjoy the glory of God, this is what I would suggest. I would suggest multiple times in the day, but I start my day. As I've told you many times, I don't put my feet on the floor until I've spent some time with him. Oh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing me and my family safely through another night. I worship you, God, because of who you are. You are Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, the great I am. I worship you, Jesus, because you are God's only begotten son. You are the savior of the world. You are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. You are the way, the truth, the life. You are my kinsman, redeemer, my soon coming king, and I worship you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because you are the great comforter. You are the great intercessor. You are the great leader and guide of truth, and I need that today. And I thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sins and coming into my heart, becoming my personal Savior and giving me a home in heaven with you for eternity. Bless this day, O oh Father. Precious Jesus, Blessed Holy Spirit, in your name I pray, amen. And then I pull the covers back. I step out of the bed. But I do not start a day, and I do not fall asleep upon the pillow until I have said to the blessed Savior, thank you for dying for me becoming my redeemer. And listen carefully. When you begin to thank the Lord Jesus for what he did for you on the cross, you can watch the glory come down when you begin to do this. And when the glory comes down, listen. Oh, 
Listen, when the glory comes down, you're not going to say, look at there. How about that? Well, well, thank you, Lord. Listen, when the Holy Ghost comes down and the power of God comes down, you've been, you've been whining all week about a problem and a trouble and a trial. You don't know how it's going to end. You're having problems in your marriage, in your home, in your family, with your job, your finances. You've been crying and carrying on. Listen, you're not going to say when the glory comes down, how about that? You're going to stand up and you're going to say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, man, when you begin to worship, worship him, the glory will come down. If you could only ask God for one thing today, what would it be? I wonder how many would ask God, let me see your glory. God said to Moses, you can't stand all of it, but I'll let you see some of it. Listen, our mission one of the aspects, I want you to learn, one of the aspects of our mission here at Buford Road Baptist Church is to enjoy the glory of God. Now, if there's anybody that just refuses to praise him and love on him and give him what he's worthy of, listen, don't spoil it for the rest of us because we're here to love him and honor him and worship him. Let him have his way. I want to give you one more scripture real quickly in 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. And whatever that joy moves you to, my suggestion would be this. Get out of the way. Just get out of the way. You might even want to take your shoes off and get out of the way and say, Lord, God, have your way with me. You know, here's the thing. I want us to get locked down, focused on the mission of who we are, why we're here. If we hold our peace, the scripture says that even the rocks and the stones would cry out. I don't want no rock getting my praise. I don't want no stone to be looking at me with a smile. If I had my way about it, I'd kick it to the curb, get it out of the way, have myself a time in Jesus and say, thank you, God, for what you did for me on the cross. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grace has made us a distinctive people. We have something to shout about. I don't know one thing in that book that God's given us to frown about. You, you say, well, preacher, I, I'm not happy with the way things are in this country. Well, neither am I. But I'll tell you what. Go to the back of the book. Go to the back of the book. 
And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Because there's a day coming, regardless of what's going on in this land today, when we can lift our voice and say, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Man, we're having church today. Hallelujah. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.